Welcome back, Defenders. Just a quick note before we get into the episode. I'm really sorry that this episode didn't come out earlier on in the week. It is supposed to be an episode that came out on John's birthday, the 25th of October. And unfortunately, we couldn't get it out on time. We had an interview with Justin Swain of Luke Cage, who plays Bailey, uh, one of Misty Knight's partners over in the uh, Harlem PD. uh, That happened on Monday. And we also had the premiere of Doctor Strange, the movie in Ireland. We'll have podcasts about both of those topics, an interview with Justin Swain and a full review of Doctor Strange but that did mean this episode was delayed so I'm really sorry about that I hope everybody's okay with it here is our review of Luke Cage episode 7 Manifest this is Defenders TV podcast episode 81 where we're talking about Luke Cage episode 7 Manifest you think I'm holding back Welcome back, Defenders. It's Tuesday. That means it's a podcast coming out about Luke Cage. Uh, This is episode 81 of Defenders TV Podcast, talking about Luke Cage, episode 7, Manifest. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the group, I'm Chris. And it is John's birthday today. It is. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, John. And the best and biggest birthday present for you is that it's also Doctor Strange Day. It's it's Doctor Strange Day. It's um, the moment we've all been waiting for since probably 2014 when it was uh, announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And, of course, all paths have been leading to uh, Doctor Strange. Yeah, he is a defender, so he's an honorary um, member of this team, even though he's probably not going to show up in... uh, the series, but maybe mm-hmm. the old Sanctum Santorum may show up. Maybe they'll get a bit of extra mileage from that money um, by having the the set <laughs> show up. Um, you know, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, can't wait. I can't funny. wait. What a birthday present! Still under forty as well. Going strong. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, those of you who joined us for last episode may know that I've uh, I've just uh, made the passage of time into my 40s. Uh, we are not recording live, so today isn't actually John's birthday, but my... we do want to wish our one of our hosts another very happy birthday. Why, thank you. My my birthday cake burns a little less brightly than yours. <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, but Chris, why aren't you born in October? I don't know. I'm starting to feel a bit <laughs> left out here. I'm like... Oh, it's going to, like, we will not be recording during my birthday, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah, it's pretty unlikely that we're that we're going to be stretching out uh, Iron Fist, the next year, series that we'll be covering. Pretty unlikely we're going to be stretching that out to your birthday. Next Just year. probably. So yeah. uh, we'll leave it as a mystery for our listeners, kind of. <laughs> it's coming after Iron Fist, but probably before the 2017 September drop. So it's in that window there. Mm-hmm. But we did get it confirmed that there is the Punisher series coming in 2017 next year. So maybe we'll be doing Punisher on your birthday. I, yeah, <laughs> I somehow doubt it. But I'm like, okay, let's go with this. Sure. You never know. You never know. But I think it's about time to get into our discussion about Luke Cage. If you haven't joined us before, we are doing spoiler-filled discussions about Luke Cage. So if you haven't seen episode seven, this is definitely one to go and watch the episode and come back to us afterwards. Uh, if you do want to subscribe to the podcast, you can subscribe to us over at Defenders TV Podcast dot com slash itunes uh, you can leave us a review over on itunes always good to get those uh, if you don't have apple or don't like 
Apple. You can always join us through any good or evil podcast catcher just by searching Defenders TV Podcast or search Luke Cage. We come up under that as well. So uh, join us on there. And if you want to talk to us, send us any feedback. You can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or leave a voicemail over at our website, DefendersTVPodcast.com. We also have a Facebook group. Great fun to join over there. Good chats on there at the moment uh, over at Facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. And finally, if you want to do one other thing, you can also come and join us over on Twitter. Just look for at DefendersCast and we will chat back and forth with you over there. So I want to jump in before uh, we get in any directorial notes or the synopsis. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Oh boy. Hello what boy. an ending. I did not see that coming. Did you guys? No. I saw I, I saw some of it. I, I saw a road sign. I didn't see the reason coming. I saw a road sign and I also think um that there is more to shades than meets the eye. Absolutely. Meets the glasses covered eyes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But for me, I was waiting for the cops. I was not expecting a Judas shall we say. But anyway, we need to jump into this because I have so many points I need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Derek, can you give us some directorial details? This is another good one. Another uh, another Defender director popping over to uh, Luke Cage. and uh, We have Andy Goddard, who directed episode six of Daredevil, season two. Uh, regrets only, the episode that started out with the battle in Electra's apartment against the, the Hand Ninjas with Daredevil by her side. A cool little episode there. Um, we talked about him over on, over on Daredevil, but if you didn't join us for those podcasts, uh, Andy Goddard also directed uh, the wonderful Miracle Day, uh, the Torchwood series, and a couple episodes of Denton Abbey, of all things. Dude. So really interesting that he's moved over for uh, for the Daredevil and Defenders series. So hopefully we'll see him back in future with some more episodes. Yes, my lady. <laughs> and the episode was written by Akila Cooper, who uh, has written episodes of The Hundred, Grim, and American Horror Story as well. So uh, wow. she's dealt with a lot of the darkness in uh, in Absolutely. TV. Absolutely. So uh, very different type of show, I think, uh, Luke Cage to those three. Love American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Even very though cool. it doesn't like me. <laughs> For the episodes, you can sit, or you can you can look without covering your face with a. Yeah, I probably pillow. see about one tenth of the actual episodes because I'm <laughs> normally cowering behind. Uh, as most people will know um, who've listened to the podcast, I am. Uh, both a lover and a hater of horror. I absolutely love it, but I just get so uh, immersed and absorbed by it that. I get quite scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is your birthday. We don't want you too scared today. Do you want to tell us what Akila gave us for this episode? Absolutely. Cornell Stokes is released from police custody as Scarf's ledger is found to be inadmissible. However, the fortunes of his cousin Mariah Dillard are less fortunate as her reputation and career are both still on the line. Pressurised to resign from the council and vulnerable, her world is given a fresh focus by an unexpected meeting with Shades. Back in Harlem, Cottonmouth looks to deal with Luke Cage once and for all, and threatens to expose Cage's true identity of Carl Lucas. Whilst Luke's instincts are to run, Claire Temple persuades him to fight, and Cage scores another victory, taking Domingo's hammer weapons off the streets of Harlem. Back at Harlem's paradise, another fight is about to break out, as Dillard visits Stokes to convince him to let go of his obsession with Cage. However, deep, dark family histories and relationships between Mama Mabel, Uncle Pete, Mariah and Cornell finally boil to the surface, and a family secret leads to spilt blood. 
As Luke Cage finishes his day, unaware that he will be framed for the murder of Cottonmouth, a shot rings out over Harlem as one Judas is swapped for another. Boom. <laughs> Boom is right. I think the operative word is bang. Bang, bang. If Frank Castle were here, that's what he'd say anyway. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, lots, lots going on. This Loads. is a, this is a shocker of, of Fantastic. an episode. Yeah, we, we, what we talked about in episode six was that it felt like the end of a season. This does kind of feel like the start out of a new season when you yeah. clear out the old gang and, uh, and kick it off into a new storyline. Um, do you want to take us off with your first point, Chris? So more and more as these episodes go along, and I'm obviously, I'm not going to go straight for the obvious point here. Good man. Chio Coker's use of music, I'm starting to love it more and more and more. Oh, this is Every beautiful. episode. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we, up until this point, we were frequently catching up with Cottonmouth when he had the performers in the club and he was testing the levels and they were more often than not kind of intercut those sequences with action and it always mm-hmm. beautifully melded. So instead of this being so music we've talked about, instead of it being like, say, the, the soundtrack to the show, even though we are, we are getting a lovely vinyl of some of the actual music from the show in form of a soundtrack. Uh-huh. I'm more and more now thinking that music is part of the DNA of the show. Definitely. And that rings true now to what we find out about Cornell. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, he should have gone to Juilliard. We found that he had the soul of a musician versus that of a killer. Yeah. And we've talked, I talked about it in the last episode. Cornell uh, Cottonmouth was not an effective gang leader. His anger slipped too often. He was not a gangster. He was a musician. He was amazing. And that's called out a few times. So to find that despite all his bluster and the constant use of, say, like the crown on the head image, which I loved when he's in the office Mm -hmm. and they always just framed his head, the angle of the shot. So it looked like his head was in place of Biggie's. Um, which was hanging on the wall with a crown and that crown was always seemed to be just, just on top of Cornell Cottonmouth's head. It always seemed omnipresent. Yeah, there's even a scene when he's staring into a mirror and it's reflected in the background looking over him all the time as well. So there's, yeah. there is that kind of presentation of the king in that room. You know, he is, he is the center of his universe in that one room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But he's just not cut out for this work. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. We learned that he was forced into taking over this side of the business mm-hmm. when mariah went to the law school and boarding school that we find he was left to deal with mama mabel on the streets that mm-hmm. was his calling not sorry that wasn't his calling that was the calling he was forced upon him yes and he seems resentful of that the, the reason i bring this up and it's not to, i don't want to go over the same point it's just more and more you see that geo's use of music is not just it's not just the soundtrack or the, the, the intercutting of action pieces or it's not just an actor per se. It's part of the show. Yeah. It's actually intercut into the characters as well. Absolutely. And I Absolutely. thought it was just brilliant use to show that, okay, well, we know Cornell's not made, Cottonmouth is not the big bad. And that's the answer we got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He should have been a musician. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely loved that. I mean, just the, he needs, you know, to learn how to piss standing up, she says. And, you know, <laughs> you see just the absolute terror. He wants to be over his keyboard. He wants to be playing music. Um, and 
he's not going to be allowed to. Yeah. He has to step up and take over the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, yeah, it, it's all pretty brutal. And it, it does, it, it emphasizes that, yeah, he was never, he had the, the, the ability or he didn't have the DNA to be the gang member. He wanted to play music. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. why the club is so important. That's why he's defending it against Shades and against Mariah when they say, just sell it. Yeah. This is at least for him some kind of musical outcome to what he's been forced to effectively do, yeah. which is to have this club which promotes fantastic music in Harlem mm-hmm. as his legacy. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of the closest he can ever get. And I have to say, big props. If that's Mahershala Ali playing the piano in these episodes, fantastic. I think it actually might be Adrian Young, one of the um one of the guys who does the soundtrack for for the show. But the music is beautiful the, uh, when he's sitting at the piano. It's, it's kind of his theme that he plays a few times throughout the episode. I think it's absolutely beautiful. Also, the opening scene, which is scored against Nina Simone's Plain Gold Ring, I think it's absolutely beautiful. And yeah. It's a really lovely opening for the episode as well. You know, you, you've said it, the, the music is so integral to the show. And once again, my first point, obviously, is about the name of the name of the episode and the connection again to the gangster song Manifest this time. Uh, Manifest is... it's. It's a good song. I'm really back to the stuff I like of uh, of Gangstar after the one I didn't like last week. <laughs> but this one is really just about living up to the words that you say or making your words manifest in life. So in this episode, we have two characters that do that. One is Mama Mabel, who doesn't get her hands dirty apart from one great scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on. She's the one that gives all the direction and makes her words manifest through other people around her. Yeah. Um, the second character that does that is Shades. So what Shade wants, he gets by telling other people to do it around him. He couldn't get it through Cottonmouth, so he went to Mariah. And Mariah did exactly what he was expecting her to do. With just a little gentle push, his words became manifest in the episode. So that's the connection for this one. Absolutely. Um, like, really good. And I suppose it links as well into my own uh, first uh, point, which is the suggestion of shades that, you know, there's this notion that maybe, okay, he's not a full on Kilgrave or purple man, as we saw in Jessica Jones, but this notion that um, a bit like with typhoid Murray, that there is some kind of suggestion that he's able to implant, which ultimately becomes, as you say, manifest or, or reveals itself. That's very evident where he comes into um, Mariah's house and he really puts her down. He really, I mean, maybe it's just excellent sort of psychology. Maybe it is just that. Yeah. Or, or whether it is something more akin to the um, abilities of Kilgrave, uh, given that we're in a, a superhero show. But, you know, he, he comes in and he says, it used to mean something, the name of Stokes. It used to mean something in this neighborhood, in mm-hmm. this community. What does it mean now? And and she's fighting him and he's dissing her and all this. And he says, when you get the nerve, you'll be surprised what you can do. And he just lets that linger. And I love the camera work here, how it focuses in on shades. It focuses back to uh, Mariah Dillard. And ultimately, that there's this, you know, I have in my notes to kill Cottonmouth. That this, to me, was that flag that I mentioned just before for her to um, step up 
and do the deed that we saw, which was to kill Cottonmouth. Yeah. 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 As is family first always. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's Interesting. a family goes first into death always. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the thing. Yeah. Are they exactly. Leave, are they leaving out some words from their motto? Maybe. Maybe that just, maybe that just wouldn't fit yeah. on the t-shirt or whatever. <laughs> but I really like how this, um, kind of comes to fruition really and mm-hmm. how it really um is obviously then a massive massive aspect of this episode sir and if any of you guys really know how to do a great segue now i think we know what the next point is so yes the big finale of the episode really is where we're where we're into with our segue right <laughs> yes that makes uh, sense yeah i think this for me was totally set up at the beginning with that discussion with Shades and Mariah, Big he time. is telling her, you got to step up here. This guy's not listening to me, to me, no matter what I do. The great moment when, um, when Cottonmouth tries to get the Judas bullet out of Shades, um, Shades kind of looks him up and down and goes, if that's what you want, you know, I can, but Luke Cage is dessert. You need to provide dinner. This is, this is nothing. Nobody will respect you for killing Luke Cage. You need to put money back on the table, basically. But the, the look that Shades or Theo Rossi gives to Marshal Ali as he's leaving the office just tells you everything you need to know. He's going to push somebody to take Cottonmouth out because he's no longer useful to them. Um, but what I didn't get about this final scene, and this is why it's such a fantastic scene, was it wasn't her intention when going to visit Cottonmouth to kill him. She didn't do it to protect herself. She didn't do it to protect her future. She asked him to give up what he was doing, but she did it to protect what was happening because he was calling her a slut, basically. Mm. He was saying to her that she wanted to sleep with her uncle, that she was dancing around the house half naked. She always wanted it, but she knows herself that she was raped by her uncle. Uh, She was abused by her uncle. And the criticism and the attack on her personal character by Cottonmouth pushes her over the edge. And that's why she kills him. It had nothing to do with push from Shades. It had to do with what Cottonmouth said to her directly. But the implant is in there Mm. and she goes for it with of course, a champagne bottle. Uh, uh-huh. Like that, that felt, yeah. I actually loved the fact that it didn't smash oh, yeah. over his head because like the, the base of those champagne bottles normally are so heavy. I kind of have that feeling that mm. it just wouldn't smash. And I, so I really like that. that. It that did. It yeah. did. It felt more like a club than, than a bottle. I really liked that. Um, and then just the fact that, you know, he's trying to stagger back to his feet. And ultimately, um, with a little nudge, um, from Mariah, this, you know, he goes falling down to the dance floor. Absolutely. Um, you know, and to even, boogie no longer. Uh-huh. And even more importantly, she takes him out with a microphone from the stage. So yeah. a uh, musical a mic- ending, sorry, a microphone stand. Apologies, not an actual microphone. That would have been a little bit weirder, but yeah, a microphone stand from the stage. So again, Killed by music the way he probably wanted to go, but not as viciously as he wanted to go, probably. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he just didn't, like, no, no, don't think so. <laughs> pretty sure he thought he was going to live forever. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly. But the other really interesting thing here as well is just the fact that, you know, who comes out of the shadows but Shades? Mm-hmm. Alvarez comes out. And, I mean, you know, we were talking about in the last episode how, you know, he was gone for the entire episode. You know, I think I made the point he was conspicuous by his absence. Mm-hmm. And here we have now, um, you know, he he's there when it matters, making 
just dropping some little notes, a few hints uh, about what should be done, um, trying to organize and, and arrange how this thing is going to play out. Like it, there is a manipulating element to him in whether he has, whether he's powered or not, I suppose, mm-hmm. in that sense. But I, I love the fact, you know, that, that he's there when he needs to be and, and yeah. he's doing his thing. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that leads into my kind of point around that, which is Shades has been almost a puppeteer of this whole first seven episodes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the first seven. He came in and as soon as he arrived, he was playing the strings of Cottonmouth and Mariah now, we see. He is, and be it he is, I still think he is powered, but maybe not. He's maybe just a master negotiator or something. That is his superpower. Mm-hmm. He he can talk to people. You know when he takes off those glasses, nobody's going to refuse what he has to say except yeah. for Cottonmouth. And then look what happened to him. Exactly. You know? I think what we've seen is every time, and I'm going to look back, but every time he's around, he's like a conduit to new new things. The next, he's a conduit to bigger things. Right. So the the example I in my head is he was there, and then the Judas bullet. He announced Judas bullet. He was with Mariah, and then Mariah killed Cottonmouth. And whenever, like, Cornell almost overstepped, Shades was there to a degree until the last episode. And I'm wondering, is this still Diamondback pulling the strings here? Could Shades now be working for Shades? Okay, we still haven't seen Diamondback, and I know, like, Shades mm-hmm. could be Diamondback. The whole thing is there is no Diamondback. Like the, the, it's mm-hmm. very much like the uh, the Mandarin and Iron Man three. Shades is actually Diamondback. It could be, and he, you know, he's totally, as you say, he's in in control of what's going on. He does seem like the fixer, though. He does seem like he's looking out for the best interests of Diamondback. It is amazing that we've gone seven episodes with that character mentioned every single episode, and we haven't yeah. seen him. Um, I think we do see him in this episode. You think that's it? You, okay, this, go bring this in because I'm going to ask a question. So with Cornell dead, who was the person who hired the gunman at the end of the episode? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it, it is either Diamondback pulling that trigger um, or it is someone that's hired by Diamondback, which could possibly be, as we kind of alluded to last week, it could be, as we kind of alluded to last episode, it could be... Uh, another character that uh, is known for his shooting, which would be Bullseye, potentially. Uh, this could be our Bullseye. So personally, I think it's Diamondback. I'd be okay with it being Bullseye. I think it'd be kind of cool to bring him in this way, that the, that he's the one that shoots and doesn't miss Luke Cage. So he isn't a character that misses a shot, right? So he does take the shot and take out Luke Cage in here. I'd kind of be okay for it to be Bullseye and our introduction to it. But I kind of get the feeling that after these number of episodes with the character of Diamondback being mentioned that although we haven't seen it although we haven't heard anything about it I think he does take the attacks of Luke Cage personally I think he is just as as pissed off maybe maybe not as angry and aggressive as Cottonmouth is but I think he's as pissed off as he is for all the stoppages that have been going on in the area of Harlem that have been caused by Luke Cage so he might want to be the kind of guy that would pick up the gun use the Judas bullet himself on Luke yeah, I mean, I definitely think, you know, given he says one Judas for another, mm-hmm. there is this um, aspect where he has been betrayed by Luke Cage. And I mean, we do have that reconnect to uh, Luke Cage's past with Carl Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see uh, Shades getting really sort of 
itchy and, and, and jittery because he's concerned now that Luke Cage is just going to run. He's yeah. going to run again. Um, and he doesn't want that. He mm-hmm. doesn't want that at all. He's got uh, plans for it. Yeah. So, uh, and because that, that one Judas to another, that, you know, it's linking back to, uh, Luke Cage's former life as Carl Lucas, probably even back to Seagate and maybe for the reason why he's in there, because again, we have that tale, uh, being told both to Claire Temple, but also with regards to the police investigation yeah. where we have, you know, just his driving license and that that's the only picture of him. So like, I, I, I reckon it's probably more than likely, obviously, I think going to be Diamondback. <laughs> Do you have any more qualifying words that you want to I use? just thought I'd qualify it to the hilt. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? I'm actually with John on this. I think that the just that short sentence, Judas for my for a Judas. Sorry, here's mm-hmm. one Judas for another Judas, or was along those lines. Here's one Judas yes, for another. So here's one Judas for another. That straight away got my Spidey sense kind of going. I'm like, <gasps> okay, so he <laughs> knows Luke Cage or Carl Lucas. Mm-hmm. So if it is Diamondback, I'm pretty sure Diamondback and Shades have been together since Seagate and mm-hmm. that could be along the lines of when I saw I, did, I got too short of a glimpse but was the same was that character the same one who was hanging around with Shades I was wondering that and I just didn't get time to go back yeah. and have a look at the episode um, but yeah I, in Seagate yes. mm-hmm. I don't I didn't think it was I think um cuz uh, that was Comanche. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless Comanche becomes Diamondback, which I'm not too sure that he does, but I think, I think he was different. I think it was a different yeah. guy. Okay. Um, so it's a different character, I think, from what I saw. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to look, go back and look at it, but I think, um, yeah, I, I think it is a definitely a new character. It must be Diamondback. Yeah. I say it, it probably, I'm hoping it is anyway. Yeah, I think it definitely probably is Diamondback based on, Again, or bullseye. Or bullseye. I'm going with Diamondback on this one. But I think Diamondback has some connection to Luke Cage. I think, mm. again, if it's from his past, his framed past, as he keeps saying, I was framed, it could have yeah. been his cop partner. Because we know... Maybe. So I'm like, I'm, this is where I'm kind of in my head now. Luke Cage was a cop. Uh, he had a dirty partner, similar to Misty. That's why they get great connections. The, the mm-hmm. His partner, who was dirty, was with drugs, etc., etc., he was um, the, he is Diamondback. And that's, yeah. and because Luke Cage probably ratted out his, uh, or sold out his partner, they, I, here's a Judas for one, another Judas. Very good. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah. I like, I like that it connects really well with the conversation that he has with Misty, where he says to her, I understand what you're going through. And she kind of balls up saying, how could you possibly understand? Uh, nobody yeah. can understand what I'm going through. It's a really good yeah, theory. Chris. No, that's really good theory. Yeah, yeah. Loving ten that. points for Gryffindor. Woo-hoo! Ten out of ten. Ten points yeah. for Gryffindor if this comes true. Yeah, exactly. If this. <laughs> hey, we still have one more season for the hand to come out of the hole. Speaking as a Hufflepuffian, Joe, um... <laughs> <laughs> what's your next point? My next point is. We got Mama Mabel. I wanted to see Mama Mabel. Mm. I was hoping we were going to, and we got her. I'm so pleased. She's everything I actually wanted her to be. A proper matriarch. Absolutely. And she carries 
secateurs. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was what a moment. So cool. I mean, so intimidating, so authoritarian, absolute pure matriarch, um, looking after the family, family first, um, always. Uh, really, really good. I was so glad that uh, Mama Mabel came into uh, this series. I thought the whole flashbacks anyway was such a great part of this episode, showing that relationship uh, between Mama Mabel, Pistol Pete, Mariah, and um, Cottonmouth. Yeah. But also, you know, exposing us to what Cottonmouth really was, um, you know, really that, as, as you mentioned before, you know, he was a musician that Pistol Pete felt effectively betrayed. The, the dark secret between, um, Mariah and, uh, Uncle Pete, you know, the, the, the notion of her being sent off for her own safety, mm. um, you know, seen by Cottonmouth to be Mama Mabel absolutely preferring Mariah over him. Yeah. The fact that she won't let him take his music lessons and become a musician, whereas Uncle Pete is sticking up for him. Mm. Uh, or, you know, so he thinks all, all these twists and turns and histories and relationships all come into fruition. And I think as well that, to me, just made the the whole breakdown uh, of the relationship between Cottonmouth and Mariah in the club really, really good. So I absolutely, these flashbacks were just fantastic for me. And in particular, I was just so happy to see Mama Mabel here. And she was everything I wanted her to be. Really, really cool. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, another little connection there with the fact that she's in charge of everything from prostitution to gun running. But not drugs. Yeah. I love love this point that kind of comes up a little bit later on with uh, with Mariah when she's um, being hounded by the press. Uh, same thing again. They're not involved in drugs. This family will not be involved in drugs because of the direction that Mama Mabel set up for them. I suppose uh, early on. Um, but yeah, that moment with the with the kid who's tried to get into the drug game to to make some money uh, to take care of of Mama Mabel. Well, first off, I have to say, hugely disrespectful kid. Yeah. Um, you could tell from our young view of Pops, the first time we've seen him probably have, have some interaction. Yeah, maybe. absolutely. I know we saw the character in a little bit of a flashback uh, when Pops was talking before, but this is his first kind of scene. Uh, very respectful of Mabel is allowed to leave this other kid who tries to kind of stand up to her. Yeah, loses a finger first. And then I'm not too sure. Did he, did he survive that moment? Yeah. No, he, that's, that's why he was taken out back mm. as they do and, um, shoot, shoot the person. Yeah. Or, or get shot or get beaten up or, or whatever. Like I, I love that was the whole moment where she goes, he needs to learn how to piss standing up. Absolutely. That, that he has to now effectively Get his hands dirty. Yeah, but the the reason I was wondering is because I thought it was uh I thought it was the guy who ran with Pop who was Chico's father. I thought that that's who the other character was because the whole point to him was that he died of an overdose after oh, getting yes. into drugs. You know, so and this guy talks about crack being the the big way into the inner city, uh, get yeah. more get more money out of them. So I was wondering whether that particular step in the path for Cottonmouth was that he was taking him outside, beating him up. He does. You do hear a knife, I think. Um, so that, and there's definitely a lot of blood on Cottonmouth's hands, but he, I don't know whether he murdered him there. It's just not, yeah. just not that clear because obviously he's outside. Yeah. And we don't I don't think that was Wilfredo though. 
Right. I don't think so. Uh, because it seemed like they, the, the three of them were, you know, were a gang in, in themselves. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it seemed, I suspect Wilfredo was coming from the Puerto Rican side of, yeah, yeah. um, of Harlem. So, um, and I, I didn't think the, the guy who got his finger clippered off, I don't think he was Wilfredo, but I don't think he survived. And I, I mean, there was, there was a lot of blood on, on uh, young, um, Cottonmouth's, uh, hands. So yeah, true. I, I have a feeling he probably didn't survive the true. night. I, I, I'd be of the same opinion. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that guy survived. I've actually got a connected point, and it's a very small point, but it's just those flashbacks in particular. The non-linear manner in which they were rolled out throughout this episode, that's mm-hmm. some of the most effective storytelling I've seen in a while. Typically, you would get, like, uh, either a kind of Wayne's World, where it would go all wavy, out of black and white, <laughs> and then it's, oh, that's how we know we're in the swinging 70s. Uh-huh. Or you'd get a hard cut, or you get someone dreamingly looking out over uh, a bay or into a window of a rainy day, and then it would kind of flash, and it would be the in the flashback, literally. These were hard cuts. I thought it was a brilliant use here. They, they were explaining certain points before you actually needed to know. Yeah. It was like, yeah. here's the background. Now this is why it's important. Yeah. And I like that there were two of them. I think they were kind of led in from um, from Cornell playing music yeah. on the piano. So you kind of get, you, I think it kind of mixed in with the music that was play, being played in the flashbacks in the first one, as far as I remember. And the second one, he is, uh, he is playing. Sorry. Second flashback was at the piano. Third flashback was again at the piano. First flashback was the gun that he yeah. used to kill, uh, to kill. Pistol Pete. So yeah. that was what, what kind of started the flashback. But you're absolutely right. It's a really great me- mechanism. I know they use flashbacks in, in Daredevil, obviously, to explain Wilson Fisk, who he was, why he became the person he was. Uh, we didn't get as much time in Cornell's past, I felt, <laughs> but it really gave you a total idea of who this character was, that he would have gone down a completely different path if he was born into a different family or not left with this family anyway, because he was born into a different family, as we find out in this episode. Um, he is not a blood relative of Mariah. He is somebody that was dropped at the doorstep of Mama Mabel's by uh, by a drug-addled woman who didn't care, basically. So, um, so yeah, I, I really love these these insights into his life. I loved Mama Mabel. She was fantastic, and you you don't want to you didn't want to cross her. She was a strong, strong woman. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, completely. I just I just thought overall they could have done it multiple of different ways. They could have just had a whole chunk of the episode. Similar to what happened in Daredevil was a whole chunk of the episode was but this was like here's a scene and why the scene's important. Here's a scene and why it's important. Mm-hmm. And it all led somewhere. I think that's the important thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The death of Cornell Stokes, Cottonmouth, now has more impact because we know how he died. Well, not how he died, but we know why he died because he was saying those things to Mariah. And we know why that yeah. was so, that was so hurtful because mm-hmm. of like, of who she was and what the background was. The one thing actually, when I was watching that last flashback, you can see Mariah open the window. And I thought yeah. it was just a normal person like, oh, I don't want to see this. She went, oh, no, oh, that's happening. I'm going to come downstairs. I'm I'm going to be here for this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to say it was a really effective use of storytelling in a way that they could mm-hmm. have done it multiple other ways, which would have not been as impactful. Yeah, that would be yeah, so that's absolutely. my point there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely. Agree. Derek, what's your next point? 
My next point is another nice connection to Daredevil. Uh, our opening scene here, as Coronel Stokes gets off uh, the charges in the police department, led by Ben Donovan, the lawyer. Uh-huh. Big Ben Donovan, who was also the lawyer for uh, for Kingpin, Wilson Fisk, over on Daredevil. Oh, God, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so when we were doing our Daredevil coverage, I remember looking this character up going, Ben Donovan, they've mentioned his name. Where do I know him from? And he is a character from Luke Cage predominantly. He's in the comic books in, in Luke Cage. So really cool that they've been able to keep the actor, bring him over, do a, do a day over on the, uh, over on Luke Cage to show that connected world. We talked about it in, in episode six, uh, a lot more of the connections that we're seeing between this series and Daredevil. And we're seeing other characters pop over from that universe into Luke Cage. So quite cool. You don't need the main characters. You don't need Foggy Nelson walking down the street in every episode. You bring it in these guys at least shows you a connected city. And also, a guy who defends Kingpin, of course, that's going to be the guy that Cornell yeah. Stokes is going to be getting for for his defense team. Big time. Uh, and it also led to just one other of my favorite scenes in the episode, which is Misty Knight facing off against Cottonmouth. I just I thought this scene was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Simone Missick standing up um, to Marshall Ali, the two of them together on screen is just, just fire. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Really, really good. I love... The put down, she thinks, or she, she intimates that Ben Donovan's called her a dog. He says, no, no, dog is, it's referencing how, do, how, how dogs, once they get, once they catch a bone, they won't ever let it go, just like, just like you. And then she responds to him going, we'll see who's <laughs> the bitch when your ass gets to jail. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, love it. Love Misty Knight here. Again, great episode for her. There's some great moments in, in, in the episode, but what a great way to start where they're losing her prey, basically, but. Yeah, and also I think what was so nice about that kind of standoff between the two of them was that, you know, you can see her now, you know, fuming ultimately. Mm -hmm. But then immediately we're introduced to, you know, Priscilla uh, from Internal Affairs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see her fuming in a completely different way and for different reasons you know and uh, priscilla is out to get her yeah um you know priscilla versus mercedes and despite for example getting the anonymous tip off of the hammer weapons this this uh internal affairs investigator is still not happy she doesn't feel that um misty is off the hook in, in any way shape or form yeah and i i love just that that quick flashback to her and and Luke having sex yeah. and that night that was just such a great little touch. Yeah, it wasn't it really cool. And I love that she kicks the desk afterwards because she's going. If they dig any deeper, they're going to know I slept <laughs> with this guy, and I haven't told anybody else about it other than you know, obviously Scarf, who worked it out, but he's gone now. So you know, maybe it, it, the I suppose the more things happen and the more people connect these really poorly connected dots to Luke Cage. The more, the worse she looks if they find out about a, a pre-existing relationship she hasn't told yeah. anybody about. So, yeah, she's, I'm sure, feeling the pressure. Yeah. Because it is that moment where uh, Priscilla just says, you have Scarf, you have Cottonmouth, you have Pops, it's all got Luke Cage, why have you not gone after him? Mm-hmm. It, it's like, you know, it's so obvious and yet they've hung back. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so this is, this was a really nice little touch, I thought as well. Definitely. Completely. Chris, do you want to give us your next point? Uh, yeah. So I talked about this piece a while ago, how legacy is a big thing within, as a theme within this show. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see now that legacy is a big part of Cornell's storyline. Like for Cornell, Absolutely. he wanted to share the same type of gangster he idolized in like Notorious VIG. From Raya, 
she wanted to leave behind a better Harlem. So she wanted to leave a legacy of that. Um, but both of them tried to do so by ignoring their own legacy and trying to get the, the legacy of Mama Mabel under the table, away from prying eyes. No one should talk about that. Mm. Mabel's kind of biggest lesson keeps is it's about family, it's family, it's family, it's always important. But in theory, she went families first, family first, and then she made Cornell kill his quote-unquote uncle. And mm. then, obviously, letting, for an undefined period of time, letting Uncle Pete abuse his niece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. So the, the lesson of, and the legacy of family first was tainted yeah, from yeah. the start. Absolutely. So Absolutely. They were following their fractured, very broken view of legacy and their, of family being important. Whereas our hero, Luke, is pushing back about this feeling of legacy, but his legacy is coming from a better place. I totally agree. That, that family has a messed up idea of what family first really means. That family is totally fucked. Um, like, but really interesting. Like, it's so just good to see that play out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. John, do you want to give us your next one? Yeah. Um, I have got Harlem's Captain America. Yes. Um, we have, you know, after knocking a few doors down and that, I loved how this played out between, um, in the parley between, uh, Luke Cage and Cottonmouth. Mm. <laughs> you know, you have this really nice dialogue, um, where Luke Cage is kind of going, this is the first time I've come over and you're flunky free kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. I thought I really liked that, that delivery. This is the moment where Luke Cage gets spooked, um, because Cottonmouth sort of brings that name from, from his past to his present yeah. with, with Carl Lucas. Uh, and we, we hear a bit more about that. He goes, I was framed. I'm innocent. And I just, again, it's just the pitter patter of this dialogue where Cottonmouth goes, aren't we all? And he does his big hearty chuckle. Yeah. Uh, really good. Um, especially you know, just because he's just been released from, uh, from custody. Exactly. So it, it works really um, well. You know, and you have this ownership thing. You're mine. I own you. Um, and if you don't do what I say, you go back to CA. And this puts the flight response into uh, Luke Cage. You know, he is the running man. Um, he is trying to get away mm-hmm. again from his past. His past is always on his heels and he's trying to run away. And it takes Claire uh, Temple to effectively say, stay and fight. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, but that has its consequences at the end of this episode where, um, maybe if he was, you know, uh, halfway towards Chicago, um, things may have been a bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with you on this. Up until that last 30 seconds, mm-hmm. the biggest threat to Luke was Cornell's, I'm going to tell the cops that you're Carl Lucas and get sent yeah. back. The, the one nugget of grr I have at this point is so can Diamondback <laughs> and Shades at any point in the next five episodes. True. But Shades does point that out. Shades is, you can actually tell he's so angry at Cottonmouth for sharing that. Yeah. That he, Cottonmouth says, I told them all that stuff you said about Seagate, you know, I told them all that stuff about Carl Lucas and Seagate. And Shades looks at him and goes, you did what? That was not shared with you for that reason. Yeah. Diamondback has plans for Luke Cage. Um, he is so angry at the idea that 
this information would be used by someone as lowly as Cottonmouth is what it, what it feels like. This is a grand plan of his boss. Yeah, and it feels as though, you know, Shades immediately knows that Luke Cage is going to run. Mm-hmm. He absolutely knows that this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a really interesting thing, you know, that he he knows him this well through the prison I just can't wait for this to just get exploded out there. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for um to be able to watch episode eight. I know. And Missy Knight and Harlem PD, they're like this close. And if our listeners obviously, this is not a video podcast, so my fingers are really <laughs> close together. <laughs> Missy won't piece it together. It'll be that tech tech detective. Yeah, Bailey, isn't it? He's the guy who kind of took over from Scarf as Misty Knight's partner. Yeah. But he's the tech detective and he is going to at some point probably figure it out, go, oh my God, look at this photo of this guy with a big afro. Doesn't that look like Luke Cage if I hold my hand over like this, the top of his head? And you're like, <laughs> oh my God, it's Luke Cage. And then Missy. It can't be that difficult. I know he doesn't have a Facebook page, but Facebook auto-recognizes every single photograph that I put anywhere near it, even if it's in the same room as me <laughs> typing in my status updates. So uh, so surely the photograph that was taken when he went to prison is on file somewhere, and that could be facial recognition. Yes! Yeah. But, but Reva, Reva cleared his... Deleted it, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I suppose maybe deleted... Everything, his entire... But you would think there would be a hard copy, but she may have gone back and changed that as well. So what I thought she had done is effectively set everything up for Kyle Lucas to look deceased as if he died and then set up a brand new identity for Luke Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe it was more like that. So I don't know whether you can completely wipe the records of somebody that actually existed and was in prison and there was loads of people around that saw him there, but I think she may have just created this idea that he tried to break out and then died in the escape, potentially. Yeah, that that, that makes some sense to a degree. It's just, they're all too close to this one thing. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we just got the Judas bullet. That's the thing that can stop the unbreakable man. Actually, no. Yes. His real life in the background, we're going to find out he skipped out on a wife and kids and he's a defunct dad kind of thing. It's like, oh no, right. Luke Cage, the hero of Harlem. <laughs> he's actually not. He's got a wife and ki- four kids back in Georgia. <laughs> And just obviously, listeners, we don't watch ahead. So if he does have a wife and four kids in Georgia, then uh, Chris has just masterfully guessed <laughs> something that, that that may be coming up in the show. Kind of, it would be good. You gotta imagine, like, so everything uh-huh. is perfect. He, he saves the day, and then there's a knock on the door, and there's just like this. Did you forget? Yeah, there's this woman with like four <laughs> kids going, Carl. could move into marvel zombies i think that would be a ridiculous ending for the series i don't think they're going to go that way i did really enjoy the discussion about his his family history the fact that his father doesn't know he's alive um and the reason why he doesn't know he's alive is because he cut off luke when he was sent to prison he'd done every single thing in his power to make sure he didn't have a black son as a criminal as luke says uh and then despite all of that luke gets set up by somebody and sent to prison. So his father completely disowns him. Uh, His father accepts the fact that even though he's been framed for this crime that sent him to prison, um, his father just instantly goes, oh, well, that's exactly where I didn't want you to go. And you're there. So you're out of my life. You know, Um, that's a very interesting relationship that I'm hoping that they're going to pursue in in future episodes. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. So Derek, what's your next point? Or final point, if you will. 
my final point is the beatdown at the boxing ring with Domingo. Uh, I love this scene. I know we, this was the one scene that that was seen in almost its entirety um, early on, but it's so much better uh, seeing it in the episode itself. I loved the guys taking out taking out their guns and Luke just looking at them, going, "You obviously haven't heard of me, have you?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him him saying, "Obviously, after being shot, I'm kind of getting sick and tired of changing my clothes," which is a reference to his discussion with uh, with. Uh, Claire Temple in the last episode where he's he's just constantly walking around with bullet bullet holes in all of his clothes. Uh, but I loved the little touch that I that I didn't notice when I saw it in the uh, in the preview uh, stuff, which is that there's four other guys in the place who were taken out by rebounding bullets yeah. off his body, uh, and Domingo just runs and dives under a table. Smart man, smart yeah, man. That was so cool. And I think it's just a little reference in it. And I know it's just a small bit, but I think it is a little reference to the fact that he could possibly been have been the one that killed Pops by having bulletproof skin uh, in Pops Barbershop in episode two. Uh, that was called out by Chico, I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who said to him, it was your fault. You're the one that made Pop die because... The bullet rebounded off you and killed him. If you weren't bulletproof, you would have taken the bullet, basically, you know? Um, so I just like the little touch that this is, this is something that happens. Bullets do rebound off him and hit other people around him and destroy things that are things in the place. Um, but I love the scene. I thought it was really good and, lo- and a great little moment at the end when, uh, when Luke takes the, uh, takes the <laughs> hoodie to get another hoodie on his head and looks for a, what? Double XL. XL. Double XL. Yeah. For yeah. those guns. Mm-hmm. The bit I loved with this scene was when he picks again, does the, the, Grab you by the belt. It's his signature mm-hmm. move now. I grabs a guy it by is. a belt and just tosses him like a, like you would a, a an apple to core into the compost. Just like huh. Uh-huh. And the guy just whacks off the roof and then back onto the boxing ring floor. I'm like, that so was good. the ultimate rebound. Well done. <laughs> that was pretty cool. It was very, very cool. Loved the scene. Thought it was really really good. Yeah. Fantastic. He didn't twist the guns though. You think you like he's he doesn't like guns. You think he'd go? I did it at the start of the episode with Zip, so that was his gun twisting yeah. moment in this episode. So early on, yeah, and like such a great, um, such a great little scene in mm-hmm. in, in the gym. But um, as well, he is not bulletproof though for the the ending. Um, it was one of those things where I think again in episode six, I was thinking it would be funny, a bit like the 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 tear gas shell or whatever that bounced off him um, that this Judas bullet, will it impregnate into him or will he still be able to just like bounce it off and mm. we'll see what happens. But we see it hits him. Yeah. It, it's inside of him. I think you hear the little explosion yeah. as well or something. Mm, I, I, I was kind of felt that, yeah. that. Yeah. but um, it was as well. I think as, as Chris had said, up to that point, I actually thought that that entire square was going to get surrounded by police cars, mm. um, and he was going to get um, sort of arrested for the murder of Cottonmouth at that moment in time. Um, and instead, he gets a Judas bullet to the gut. Yeah, um, I'm intrigued because I, I didn't, I didn't hear it explode. I was wondering whether they've whether they'd modified it possibly to kind of give him a warning rather than kill him. Um, because I didn't, I didn't hear the explosion. I just must have missed it. So interesting that you guys. It was say. a very dull thud. Yeah, I can't make the noise here. But what? No, what got me though? Minor detail. When we saw the Judas bullet, mm-hmm. it yeah. smacked into the Kevlar and stopped, and the guy was still alive. And then it drilled yes. in and exploded. So That's right. I don't understand why it suddenly went straight into his gut. 
it went straight through and he started bleeding and he was like, what the hell, what the hell? And then it went, the, the, the kind of, we didn't even hear a drill. We just heard a, a thud and then he fell backwards and there was even more blood. I thought there was a little bit of drilling. I, I, I thought like he looked down and then there was kind of like, Again, you, I would have to go back and listen to it, but I, I thought there was some kind of yeah. sort of zzz, sort of kind of motorist sound of it going in, and then the explosion, yeah, I or, thought the, or the kind of the, the muffled sound of like a pop yeah. almost. And I think to me, I'm really intrigued that they've gone down this route because, like, this is kind of serious now. Like, effectively, if it has exploded, like we think it has. Um, then that's his internal organs gone, yeah. has it? Maybe. Oh, unless they're unbreakable. I mean, I don't know, but like one of the things I, I you know, it was so brutal in that demonstration, like that, you know, a massive chunk of his body flew off, um, in, in that uh, footage. Mm. So the fact that it's gone in and then it seems as though it can't actually explode because of his skin. Like, what's it done to his insides? Yeah. Technically, he could die from this. And so they've kind of got to explain a bit why he won't. Mm. Unless his guts are... No, but I do remember Claire said, I saw a guy heal faster than anyone than ever possible with it from a shotgun to the head, with a bleed to the brain. Mm -hmm. So he then probably, it seems like he has some accelerated healing. Yes, So if they... They could explain this that she, she, she sutures everything up, fixes them up to a better degree. And then three months mm-hmm. later, and we, we, we jump a week or two or two weeks or three weeks down the line, maybe a few months down the line. And Black Mariah is in charge. And maybe. because, the, yeah. I'm not sure they're going to jump that far. I think I don't think they'll need it. Like the explanation really is that he had a huge head trauma, which was solved in hours rather than months. I'm not even sure because, again, because I didn't hear the explosion. I'm not even sure whether there's going to be much in- damage to internal because it looked as if there was only a small, small wound, which was the piercing of the bullet and potentially the wrapping of a skin around that that was taken in by the bullet is what blocks it potentially. Uh, I'm not sure. So. I'm intrigued to see it, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not Me sure. It would, I'm not sure it's going to need months of of healing time for. As it. I say, I, I I thought definitely that there was thud. that kind of little yeah. muffled thud of a some kind of explosion that had right. occurred within him. Obviously, not like the the normal human mm. um, in in the footage. But like maybe maybe that's not the case. Um, I, I, I honestly so it, just, so it'd be interesting to I see. I honestly just what thought happens. it was going to the credits, and then that was going to be the start of the next episode. Was whether there was an explosion yeah. or not? But no, like that's what I'm, I'm dying just to. I'm, I want the next episode. So on okay. that note, right. I'm going to go my last point so we can speed this up because I want to know does Luke Cage die? It could be it. It's literally <laughs> again. I would love actually. We don't want to be brilliant. Some show just to go like we've got you giving you 13 episodes. And then the main character just dies like halfway through and they just have like this normal day to day. They're following some normal Joe Soap around. It's not important. You know, you know what? There's so many awesome characters in this show. You could just change the, you could just change the titles to Misty Knight in the same font. And I think she could carry on the show for the next five, six episodes. Yeah. I, I love that character. She should carry, she could carry it on. Definitely. Definitely. So on my last point, I just want to go back to the piece that John referred, John brought up, which is, 
And he's referred to as Harlem's Captain America. And I mm-hmm. love this. I love how this is a real great nod. Okay, I'm seeing this as a nod to how his actual origin story in the comic books was tied to uh, Captain America's. In that case, yeah. part of Super Soldier Serum as experiments, and that was there. But you could also kind of see it that he doesn't swear. He's like Captain mm-hmm. America, that he's polite and no nonsense and straight shooting. He's a good mm-hmm. guy in the language. Like that's, and they don't care for bullies. So there's mm-hmm. that big yeah. point there. And he can certainly do that yeah. all day. And he has no, he's way more in common with Steve Rogers than Matt Murdock or Frank Castle. Mm-hmm. Or to a degree, Danny Rand from what I've read before. It's like, they don't have that much in common. Yeah. No, they don't. Okay, there's multiple nods. I think it was just probably more because he's Harlem's version superhero, and that's why he's probably being referred to as that. No, I like it. And remember, again, Captain America is also a New Yorker. He's yeah. from Brooklyn. So, you know, he's he's Brooklyn's Captain America. He's Brooklyn's protector, effectively, who eventually went off and, and played on the world stage kind of thing, you know. Uh, so I love, you're absolutely right. I love this touch. I love that Luke is uh, is quite highly connected. And again, in this show, they're certainly not afraid of calling out the names of these yeah. characters. You know, there is no Daredevil named in this episode, but there is another nod to that as well. Just one of my notes, uh, which is just Claire Temple going, uh, look what's happening over in Hell's Kitchen to encourage Luke to take up being a superhero. And he's going, is that that cat that's beating people up? Is that what you want me to do? <laughs> um, which I just thought was a nice little, uh, nice little joke uh, in there about Daredevil. But, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I think with that, does anyone else have any notes, Chris? Any notes? I have none, unfortunately. I kind of melded most of these into my points today. Yeah, no, that's the same for me. I've, um, I'm absolutely noted out. Although, having said that, it is just to introduce there was uh, Damon Boone. Uh, so Mariah Dillard is losing her, her place uh, in the party mm. um, and her council position or... The, her election is, is absolutely um, up in the air, under threat. We don't know whether she's actually lost it, but we are told that there's going to be a press release. Absolutely. So there's more than likely that she's she's lost that. Mm. So I think this fits in quite nicely with um, what you were saying in the last episode, Chris, that you know she is going to go full on Black Mariah. I do, I do yeah. wonder, because I'm wondering whether she's just saved it by killing Cornell and aligning with Shades. By the way, another one of my notes. Did you guys see the look between Shades and Mariah? Is there a little, uh, a little relationship brewing between these two? No, I still think this is. No, I still think I he's think powered. So. I think takes off those shades and he does something. He makes you go after your your deepest darkest desires, kind of thing. I think Mariah might desire some shades. Mm. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> This is obviously John's birthday episode. Chris has agreed yeah, with John. I know, oh, it's great. Uh, I so. know. This, this is amazing. <laughs> On that note, John, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage, episode seven, Manifest? I do. I do defend this episode uh, of Luke Cage. This, to me, fits so nicely with um, episode six in terms of moving it on. You know, it's almost like to the middle bookends for for each half of the season here. Um, and I'm going to give it 4.5 uh, 
Mama Mabel's Garden Clippers out of five. <laughs> and another high one. Um, it was just, it had proper violence and intimidation through uh, Mama Mabel. I'm so glad we got to see her. Yeah. I loved all that messiness of, of this family history boiling out into uh, Harlem's Paradise, uh, Cottonmouth's Club. And I mean, you know, R.I.P. Cottonmouth, like such a great flawed character in in this show, being taken out by his cousin uh, in the club with with the ever present shades. You know, we have here the 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 flight or fight element of um of Luke Cage, and he steps up to the plate, but ultimately this has put him in deep peril, and we now have. Um, you know, a superhero who is fallible, he can be taken down. Uh, and I'm just like, I so want to see now what happens next. Is this thing just going to blow up and it's going to be like alien bursting through his gut or something like that? You know, what's going to happen? Because, um, you know, he's in serious trouble here yeah. uh, if that thing goes pop, which I think it did. So I've just got this feeling now he's just like an empty shell. Right. It's all just kind of all filling up his legs or something right. like that, all his internal organs. This was, I just thought this was really good. There's some really nice uh, moments in here as well. Just, I think, given that Cottonmouth died, having this parlay, which is a hark back to Pop's barber shop uh, as Switzerland, uh, and, and having that this whole conversation between Luke Cage and uh, Cottonmouth, that the nod to Harlem's Captain America... Uh, and and the the realization that people now know his his own past really really good so absolutely mm-hmm. defend this episode of, of Luke Cage Chris do you defend this episode of Luke Cage I have to guys I have yet to not defend <laughs> one of these episodes it's getting it's getting uh-huh. weird I, I feel bad I, I feel like it's going against me but this was a fantastic I would go almost as far as say this is one of the best. If not, it's close mm-hmm. to it. Um, you learn so much of the backstory, the unique way that they told the flashbacks for me, which is just out of sync, but giving what you need. And it's with the great tragic results of the history what we find that drives Cornell and Mariah, which is, it's just brilliant. So I just want to give a huge credit to, to, uh, Alfred Woodard and Mahashala. Ali, they were just, and especially uh, Andy Goodard in this, in terms of how the reveals were done and how effective it was. And at the end, then I really just Cottonmouth's death was so well choreographed and acted between the two of them. Mm. Like that came, even though I knew it was almost inevitable and we talked about the last, I was like, not sure where his character can go. Mm -hmm. It still came as a surprise because once he got out, it was like, oh, he's out. Okay, they're going to keep going with this character. Yeah. The surprise ending of this episode was fantastic. It really was. Mm. Just in the whole. Yeah, definitely. Myself and John were up to that point. We were, oh, cops are going to roll in and they they know he's super strong and bulletproof. They're going to stop him and they're going to come in and they're going to capture Luke Cage for the death. And then it's like, nope, we're going to shoot him. There you go. That's yeah. how we get in the end of this film. So it was just, it was really, really well done, really well put together. So yes, I defend this episode. And then Derek, you need to wrap us up here. Do you defend this episode? 
Not only do I defend this episode, I think you're you're close to right, Chris. This is the best episode so far this season. Um, we're seven episodes in, and we've we're we're getting better and better in this episode. Uh, it also gave us exactly what we wanted. We were talking about uh, on the last episode, on episode six, we were talking about the fact that we haven't had an episode that's made us want to absolutely press the button immediately because yeah. of the cliffhanger. Uh, we've had it making us want to press the button because of how cool the show is and how great the cast is and how great it's written, but. I need to go and press that button and watch episode eight. You know, this is a, this is a huge cliffhanger for, for these episodes after seeing the first six uh, that didn't have any cliffhangers. That's a real shocker. So I wasn't expecting it. I was thinking that the end of the episode was going to just kind of finish off with, you know, maybe uh, Claire and uh, Luke finding out about the death of, of Cottonmouth. We know Misty has because she just picks up the phone and hears about his death and runs out of the room to go and, uh, and investigate it, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in shock at the end of this episode, but throughout it, it was really well built, uh, all the way through with seeing Mama Mabel, as you guys have said, the history, the history of the Stokes family and the Stokes family name. Uh, I'm really intrigued to see what happens now with, uh, with Mariah and how she's going to take back her name, take back her reputation, whether she's going to use some of, uh, some of Diamondback's goons to go and, um, go and put some pressure on the other, the other people in her party to keep her on board and keep her on the ticket. That's absolutely what Mabel would have mm. done, you know? Um, so wondering if she'll do that. But yeah, highly, highly defend and highly recommend this episode. I'll be watching it again. Cool. Absolutely. I guess on to feedback. Ooh, I love me some feedback. Mm-hmm. Our first piece of feedback comes from Debbie Fisher, who started a, uh, a little bit of a, a, ch- a chat over on the Facebook group about three days after the episode, uh, after all the episodes came out, going, can we please talk about episode seven? Can we please talk about episode yeah. seven? Um, so I knew this was going to be kind of be a big episode, but she just says, Mariah Killen Stokes, oh my word, learning more of Cottonmouth's background and Luke getting shot. What is going on here? Um, Jeff Childs says, surprising episode. Lisa Richardson says, I was really disappointed to lose Cottonmouth. The actor, actor was amazing. And Debbie agreeing, he really was. It seems to have just caused a kind of a shockwave throughout, uh, Definitely. throughout our, our group over on Facebook. Um, it just, this episode and, and has amongst us as well. Uh, I'm really surprised that this is the direction they've gone in the episode. I'm really interested to see what happens in the next one. So thanks very much for that feedback, Debbie. Yeah. Thanks, Debbie, for that feedback. Totally, uh, in shock as well. And actually, Potentially more shock, depending on how that uh, Judas bullet works his way through uh, through his system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And thanks, Jeff and Lisa, obviously, as well for, for that. If you want to join us over in our Facebook group, all you need to do is go to DefendersTVPodcast.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. So the good thing about releasing a podcast a bit later than I was expecting to is that we did get a bit of voicemail feedback in on our website, our first piece of feedback on the website. Yeah, our first one. Absolutely. Yes, from Ronaldo in Australia. That's excellent news. That's our first voicemail all the way from Australia. Uh, it's certainly quicker than uh, post. Hi, guys. This is Ronaldo from Sydney, Australia. Just um, uh, dropping a line to say, um, first of all, thank you for such a, a cool podcast. It's really, really enjoyable to listen to, so you know, please keep it up. Um, I just wanted to make a quick note on that, that final scene of Episode 7 where Luke Cage gets shot. Um, I don't know about you guys, I had mixed feelings about this. Um, it was really enjoyable, um, but uh, on the one hand, I think it's kind of like uh, the unstoppable juggernaut or the immovable blob. Um, having Luke Cage, who's supposedly unbreakable, um, get shot uh, was quite uh, quite a surprise. Um, 
And yeah, just felt a little sad that he actually wasn't, um, he isn't not totally unbreakable. Um, on the other hand, it, it kind of makes Cage a lot more vulnerable. And for us as viewers, it kind of raises the tension, um, kind of knowing that he's not uh, invincible. Um, anyway, just wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. Anyway, yeah, keep it up. Uh, thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I'll keep listening. Cheers. Thank you, Ronaldo, for that bit of feedback. That's actually really, really interesting. I don't think we kind of discussed the, the shooting of Luke Cage with regards to you know it, it actually removing the aura of, of him being unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, uh, maybe that's just because um, really, I, I certainly for speaking for myself that um, we I haven't really uh, read an awful lot of Luke Cage so um, for me it kind of did the other aspect of that which you also refer to which is it heightened the tension it made him feel uh, more vulnerable which I think added tension uh, for for the audience but it, it's a, it's a really interesting point to to see it from that other side and I think it's absolutely valid that you know this guy who is supposed to be unbreakable mm-hmm. is um, is suddenly found to break. Um, it's a bit like the Hulk uh, suddenly losing um, all his power as the Hulk, not as Bruce Banner, but as the Hulk. You know, yeah. so it yeah, I, I can understand that. Or for me, it would be like Doctor Strange not being able to cast uh, a spell. Um, although he, he didn't do that in the film. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, sorry. of course, we've seen the film since we recorded yes, this episode. Exactly. Yes. Um, but, yeah, no, there, that's some really good points there, Ronaldo. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much for your kind words at, at the start of your voicemail. And, uh, you know, big ups for, for being the first to voicemail. Absolutely, yeah. Great to have some voicemail in. If you want to send us voicemail, just go over to the website to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the Send Voicemail button. Thanks so much, Ronaldo. Yeah, I, I agree with John as well. I think if you're doing a series like this and a guy has powers, you got to take them away at some point because that does ratchet up the tension a bit. It does it does help the show to kind of capture that. I think Chris had asked the question all the way through, how do you kill the unbreakable man? It can't just be a normal person punching him in the face because they break their fists, as we saw in the, in the first episode. So uh, they did have to ratchet it up a little bit. He is no longer the unbreakable Luke Cage. He is just Luke Cage, yeah. Although, as well, just coming back on that, I mean, we did have that great moment where Mariah Dillard says, we'll drown him, poison him, Mm -hmm. do all of these things that effectively internalize um, his his damage so then no one can actually get at him. Whereas uh, I think the fact that there was the bullet and the shrapnel, now they had to, like, effectively... um, deconstruct his unbreakable skin and then reconstruct it back. So it maybe made it more complicated than it needed to be. And maybe, um, Mariah Dillard actually had the, the best way of doing yeah. it. And, you know, she cut that Gordian knot, so to speak, and said, well, drown him, chuck mm-hmm. him, chuck him off a pier, um, give him some poison. So yeah, I actually, um, that's a that's a, a really interesting point, Ronaldo. Definitely. A uh, little bit more feedback also came in from Robert Phillips over on our Facebook group. He says, "What a terrible life poor Cottonmouth had. Abused as a child, stripped of his right to art as a way of life, and accidentally executed. The sexual exploitation of Mariah is rubbish too, of course. And Cottonmouth, in his of the time excusing it, followed the Lolita myth that doesn't give him any brownie points. Of course, after your podcast explained how we always get a cute life story." before a death in episode six then the gurgling final breaths were a little less of a surprise the bullet to the guts ending though that was a shock 
I hope we didn't spoil the death of Cottonmouth by saying you always give a good story before the death of a major character. Uh, that definitely wasn't our intention. I definitely think there's a huge difference between what they did with Scarf in episode six by giving him a little bit of a you know off-screen backstory than what they did with uh, with Cottonmouth by having a big uh, storyline playing out after the after six episodes of having him as a major character uh, and then providing his death at the end. I think there was a very different kind of storyline between those two pieces and those two characters. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think uh, all, all the stuff, um, the tragic childhood, I mean, absolutely made you feel completely sorry, um, I think, for Cottonmouth. Yeah. Uh, maybe not completely, but I mean, you, you suddenly started to realize that, you know, he'd had a bad life. And so, um, you know, imagine him as a pianist in the club rather mm-hmm. than the guy uh, having to run guns and sell guns just to own it, you know? Absolutely. In the same vein, David Wang also says, I was very sad that I realized that him playing the keyboard wasn't just a kingpin hobby, but his previous dream job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really does give a sense of how important Harlem's Paradise is to him. Yeah. Um, and why he is willing to sacrifice his reputation and all of that stuff mm-hmm. um, for his club. Yeah. This is his one link back to the thing that he loved, which was playing the piano and music. Yeah, it's weird listening back on some of the episodes. I think I said in an early episode... I wonder if Cottonmouth just wants a cool club in the, in, in the area of harm so that people could just hang out on Saturday night. That's exactly what he wanted. He wanted us to expose musicians to the people of Harlem. Uh, Robert Phillips, just one other quick point from him. He also says, uh, I know this is all pretend and everything. It's a TV show, but a rifle sticking out of a Hummer parked in Harlem. Is that just a normal Tuesday? <laughs> I love that. I think uh, Chris did make that comment as well. A a Humvee sitting in the middle of Harlem is a bit of an odd uh, vehicle right in the middle of the city, isn't it? Well, it was more that it was Mm camouflage-y. I mean, in Dublin, like, I've seen stretched Humvee, which is so tragic. So, I mean, think stretched limo, Uh think stretched Humvee. Really tragic. <laughs> Stretch camouflage Humvee in the middle of New York. I think it would stand out, definitely. Uh, it wouldn't in Dublin, that's... by the sounds of it. <laughs> Depends on what side of Dublin you're in. Uh, finally, Claire Payne says, I was genuinely shocked about that ending. I was even more shocked how Mariah killed Cornell. Pretty gruesome. Great episode. Shades is certainly in control now. Ooh, Interesting. So thanks so much for the, all that extra feedback we got in between when we recorded and when we edited. Always good to get that in. Uh, we'll talk to you again next time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the feedback. Keep it rolling in. Thank you. And back to Chris to say thank you for the feedback, I think. Thank you so much for the feedback, guys, and do keep it coming. We love, obviously, reading it out, but more importantly, as the episodes go on, we can talk more and more, and we understand more and more what you're talking about. So come back in mm-hmm. there. We can actually, unless I see a... a episode listing i don't click in anymore to the comments because i'm like i might get spoiled so when we stick up those episode pieces in our facebook group jump in tell us what you thought and just Mm -hmm. we'll interact we'll go yeah no well maybe see that's all three (laughs) answers that we can actually put out there it's amazing i'm very impressed i'm very impressed Thanks so much for all the feedback. If you want to email us, you can also email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or leave us a voicemail over on our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. That's it for this week. I think it's time for us to get out of here and go and celebrate John's birthday. What do you think? 
I think we should. Yay! Yay! Absolutely. A very happy birthday again, John. Thank you. And thanks for spending it with uh, with us and the listeners. Absolutely. Not really, because obviously this is pre-recorded. But you know, thanks for I know. sharing. I, I, your I'm I'm like I'm like the queen now. I've had two birthdays. Why does the queen have two birthdays? <laughs> because she's um, a monarch. So she has the queen's gre- birthday and she has Elizabeth. Birthday she has as well. her birthday, and then she just has an official state kind of. I have no idea. I don't think... um, I, I, I really don't know. I, but I like, like the way you were trying, and both you tried to kind of rationalize it, and they went, no. I suppose you grab them where you yeah, can. Two. If you can have two, three, four, or five, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hers is just backed by the state. Okay, that's it, officially. I can give myself an October birthday then. Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. I'm going to be like the queen. So Chris's birthday could actually coincide with our next episode, episode uh, 82 of Defenders TV Podcast. Yeah, so we will be back next on Tuesday, the 1st of November, with our next discussion on Luke Cage, episode 8, mm-hmm. called DWYCK. Interesting one, because I don't know what that one means yet. I have listened to the track by Gangstar, but I just need to get into the details of it and to see what the connection is for episode 8. And obviously, we also need to watch the episode so we can do those comparisons. Thanks so much for joining us, listeners. Really good to have you on board, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Yep, thank you so much for listening, and we'll speak with you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to Defenders TV Podcast, a TV podcast industries production. Our theme tunes provided by the wonderful Mississippi McDonald and the Cottonmouth Kings. If you want to help out the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to us, there's some really easy ways to do it. If you can share our episodes through your social media channels like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, or Google+, that gets some extra listeners into us. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes or a rating, just leave a five-star rating, click the button, or go to iTunes through DefendersTVPodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you straight to our page and leave us a review or a rating there. That always helps out independent podcasts. And also, as always, we love to hear your feedback about the show's interaction with our audience is what we really, really love. So you can send us feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.